the marinade. There's no O in marinade. Let's try it one more time. Ready? One, <laughs> two, three. <laughs> the marinade. Marrow. Marrow. Marinade. Bone marinade. The marinade. The marinade. With Jason Earl. Welcome to The Marinade with Jason Earl, a free-flowing conversation about the creative process with creative people. This is episode 62, and our guest is Elliot Bronson. Elliot's new record, Empty Spaces, is a gorgeous, painful album about love and loss that will no doubt end up among my favorite records of the year. This conversation was such good medicine, y'all, and I am thrilled to bring it to you. You can find all things Elliot at ElliotBronson.com. That's Elliot with one T. Everyone, my conversation with Elliot Bronson. Folks are listening to this. I just gushed about Elliot's record for a, a second, and I'm gonna gush more. <laughs> so, um, but the the sequencing um, is incredibly powerful, and so I want to talk about so much, and um, I want to just kind of go into why, like, the decision that you made this time. So your other records have been produced by the great Dave, Dave Cobb, and you made the decision to produce this one yourself. Um, what can you talk about the making that decision um and like why you did it and then uh then i want to kind of go into the differences between the two yeah i'm happy to do that and, and thanks for having me on the show by the way i appreciate it my pleasure man you know i have to answer that question kind of by backing up a couple steps because everything about this record is kind of you know uh, it's all of a, a piece um i i went i mean this is a unapologetic breakup album, <laughs> obviously, to anybody who hears it. And I and it was a big life change. I moved to Nashville. Um, I wrote all the songs. And, you know, I, my life just kind of changed pretty dramatically. And what I thought I would do was go to Nashville, like, chase down a publishing deal, try to be a full-time, like, writer during the day and, you know, and, and tour as much as I could uh, on the side and then, you know, make a record either with Dave again or maybe another hot shot in Nashville and a new band. And I had this vision about where where this was going to take my career. And basically going to Nashville, uh, it, it taught me kind of a bunch of things that I didn't expect it to teach me. Um, and it made me actually double down on who I was as an individual. And I was co-writing every day and trying to play the game and doing all right, I think. I, I wrote a lot of songs I liked, but I was like writing 
you know, I was having four or five writing sessions a week, sometimes a couple a day. And then I would go home at the end of the day and write a song just for me. And it would be the only one I cared about for the week, you know. <laughs> so as, as I was compiling these songs, you know, I, uh, I started realizing, you know, that what was uh, most important was, you know, the songs that, that I really cared about, not so much writing like some sort of objectively great song. I, I, I came to believe that that didn't exist. And all that really matters is to make something that's really important to you. And if you can do that and honor it, then you'll make something that will end up being important to other people. And so that informed my decision to, to of who to make the rec record with and how to make the record because I'm, I went around and talked to a bunch of producers and, you know, showed them the songs and, you know, got good reactions from people. But the more I thought about it, I was like, man, like this is just so important to me. This is like my life. I'm singing about my life. I'm writing these incredibly personal songs. And I ended up making the decision, which was the opposite of what the direction I thought I was going in. I went back to Atlanta, got my buddies together. We made the record at my friend's house. And I just thought, like, that's, this is the right decision. This seems like the opposite of the direction I thought I was going in, the trajectory I thought I was going in. But it was, uh, it, I knew it was totally right as soon as we started doing it because these guys, they just cared so much about me. They knew my story. They knew what I'd been through. They knew what the songs were about. And they invested themselves in it in a way that no matter how great the producer or band was going to be, they just wouldn't have been able to. Um, so that's the short version, I guess. <laughs> that's so exciting. That's so wonderful yeah. that you had that support system and that that you were able to, 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 to go back to Atlanta, which is like, it, correct me if I'm wrong, kind of the the source of a lot of these songs was, was things that happened in Atlanta, right? Absolutely, yeah. I lived in Atlanta for, you know, about 15 years or so, and, you know, this relationship that this record talks about a lot, uh, you know, happened in Atlanta, and, and there's a song about Atlanta and uh, about leaving. So, yeah, it's a, it's definitely that chapter of my life. Um, and it just, you know, it did, it did make sense to make it there with the people who surrounded me during that period and like you know my longtime bandmates people who were like you have my back you know i tried it the other way and it's it, and it's not to say we didn't get great results because i think we did get really good results but there's just nothing like you know buddies in a room giving a shit you know like wearing their heart on their sleeve and, and making something for themselves like that i think is where like a lot of the real magic can happen god that's a great point man i you know the other day i played an open mic and um i was stiff I was real stiff. Like I, I, I played a new song that I hadn't played for anybody, and it, I just wasn't confident. And and as a yeah. result, it just, um, the whole set, like, it wasn't as bad as, of course, my anxiety told me it was, but right. I wasn't playing loose and I wasn't connected to the songs because I wasn't comfortable. Like that need for right. when you're creating, especially if you're creating something personal, like you did, mm. that that need to be comfort. Uh, to be comfortable and to be in a place where you're supported is so important. And I think sometimes we need oh, like yeah. that, especially it's so interesting to me that you had the publishing, you, you were, you were doing the publishing deal work and then going home and writing the stuff that we were really passionate about. So it's like you're doing the work and you're continuing to get better because you're going through those, you're flexing those muscles, but the stuff that really mm -hmm. mattered to you was that, that personal stuff that you were doing f just for you. That's totally right. Yeah, um, both those those both are very good points. The, the the point about being comfortable, I think, is is key in a performing art. You know, it's not like painting where you make it and it just sits there. You know, what I mean, every time you sing that song, you recreate it, and you know, you can only do that well 
in a place where you're out of your own head and you can only get out of your head when you're comfortable. So that's definitely true. And then the second point, um, yeah, I mean, I was, I was definitely, I think, I think it's a great discipline to write a lot because you definitely, you know, it's like, I think creativity is more of a habit and as, as you get into the habit of doing it, it's easier to tap back into it. So I was writing way more songs in that period than maybe I've ever written in my life. I'm sure than I've ever written in my life. So that was a really good thing. But, um, I tell this story sometimes, like one of the first nights I, I was, I'd been to Nashville a ton, obviously. I made two records there and living in Atlanta. It's not that far away, but you know, it's very different when you move there and people treat you different and you know, you're in the club. So, you know, one of the first, uh, <laughs> one of the first, um, oh, not open mics. It was a, a round, you know, they do rounds in Nashville where you get three artists on stage and they sing songs, right? And um, take, take turns. And I went to this round uh, that my management at the time, like, you know, come down, this girl we're working with is going to be playing. So I went to this round. And, you know, in Nashville, it's just like the best of everybody. There's the best singers, the best guitar players, the best writers. I mean, they're all there in this town. It's crazy. And I, I went to this show. I didn't know any of the people. It was like three girls in their, like, early 20s. They were all gorgeous. They all had amazing voices. They were all singing songs that were perfectly crafted. Uh, and... Uh, you know, it was, I mean, it was top-notch. They were in, like, the top, you know, 0.5% of technical ability and skill and look. They And 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 there's a lot of those people there. And I was watching this show, and then I was looking around the room at this bar. It was just a regular old bar. And half the people, it was half full room, and half the people seemed to care, and the other half were, you know, just mildly interested. And I, and I, I really had this moment where I had to say, like, what's happening right now? I mean, I'm watching like I'm watching Olympic level, you know, musicians, artists on stage and nobody gives a shit like and and then and it clicked and something clicked with me in that moment that I took with me the whole rest of the time. And until now, And what clicked was those girls actually didn't really care about what they were doing either. Like the songs were co-writes. They weren't really about their life. They weren't risking anything. It wasn't it wasn't edgy. It wasn't. um it wasn't scary you know it was it was pretty safe stuff and what i realized was you can't ask an audience to care if you don't care so then i was like okay i get this like i'm not going to be the best singer in the world the best guitar player in the world or whatever that even means but i can tell my story as bravely and honestly as possible and if i do that it will be compelling as long as i stick to that like that's the that's the you know that's the north star so after that you know realization it was a lot easier to sort of when I go home and write those songs just for me, I, I kind of had a sense. I was like, it, it wasn't like a, I didn't know what I was doing. I think part of me was like, yeah, this is actually where it's at. And I'm going to keep trying this publishing thing, but I have a suspicion that um, it's going to fizzle out for me. And it did. That's you use the word brave there. And I think that that is a pretty courageous act to, to make that decision. Um, how easy was it to, to come to that realization? Did you have to wrestle with it at all? Or was, was it just an aha moment that, then everything was different. It was a, I mean, it was an aha moment. Obviously it sticks with me and I've told that story, you know, several times now. So I know that was like a, a, a pretty big, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's a realization. Like um, there's this, uh, I'm a meditator and there's this Buddhist teacher. I, one time she said this, this like this, like 80 something year old grandma <laughs> and she, in this really sweet way, she said this thing that is always, that's also stuck with me, which is like, you know, we don't learn new lessons. We just keep relearning the same lesson. <laughs> we just learn it better. So it wasn't like the first time I'd ever thought about the idea of being brave and singing about what I care about. Of course, I've always thought about that. But it was like, oh, I just learned it again. Like, I learned it better than before. So it just reaffirmed, I think, a core belief in me. And then, you know, I would I would I would 
put that into action. You know, I'd play these songs and I would share them with my friends and I would see like, okay, they really care about that song. And I'd be like, what about this song over here? And I'd pull in something that I co-wrote with somebody that was super crafty in Nashville and they wouldn't care. And it would just be like, oh, I see, you know, I see what's going on here. It's like, there's something about craft and, and skill. I mean, no doubt you, you can't get to any level without like putting in years of practice and, and know how you have to get beyond your mind. And that takes, you know, you have to learn it in your body and you have to understand craft inside and out. But at a certain point, you have to go beyond craft or else or else it's just not compelling. It's just not interesting, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And but working on the craft is like you do and like you did then allows when for you to uh, to 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 take that emotion and take that that personal feeling and then also yeah. craft these wonderful songs with that feeling in it. And but you ha- kind of have to have the both. Right. You got to be able to do the work. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know yeah. anybody who can just do it, you know, like everybody puts in the <laughs> fucking work. <laughs> yeah, no, you got to put in the you got and there's no way to get around the fact that you got to work at it. I mean, there's there's you know, it's it's funny when you analyze stories of people who were like child prodigies, it just turned out that they started way earlier. You know, they were five, <laughs> you know, so it's it's really I think there's no substitute for hard work. But I think what one thing can happen is like as you get better and as you internalize the craft, you start to understand like why like you know not like we're not doing these crafty things for the sake of it right like a chorus makes sense like there's a reason for repeating things there's a reason for turns of phrase and you start to understand it more intuitively and then you can like get to the point of why you're doing it in the first place you're not doing it just to show how crafty and, and clever you are if you're doing that then you know fine but maybe you know you should be in a different you know profession writing hallmark cards or something i don't know but uh, <laughs> maybe there's, maybe there's a better example. There probably is, but you know, you 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 want to like these are tools, and then you want to use those tools to communicate something meaningful or important to you. Um, you know, they're not an end in themselves. Yeah, I just finished uh, Stephen King's On Writing. Oh, great book! Oh my god! But he talks about that. He talks about the the tool the toolbox, right? So we talk yeah. about having those tools in your toolbox, and he doesn't. Um, it, they're so simple too you know like him it, it, for him it's things like vocabulary right right <laughs> these um it's such, such a great book because there's so much in there that you're kind of like well no shit but i don't i haven't <laughs> thought about it this way you know um and there are yeah those moments when somebody like that's uh talking to you and you're like yeah but you're fucking stephen king like <laughs> 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 gotcha, but come on, man. Yeah, yeah, no. Did did you there? It seems like as I as I listen to the record, there's my favorite stretch of it, and I love the whole thing. My favorite stretch is the middle section. Um, she loved the she loves the mountains through mountain in my mind. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, and there seems to be like, I mean, it it's such a you write about place in a way that very few people do i think that you're able to sort of describe the place itself but also especially in atlanta but also to to explain your experience in that place and i wonder when i listen to those songs um how how much place impacts your writing um and you mentioned a couple of things nashville how things are in nashville deciding to go back to atlanta um, are you conscious of that, or is that just something that I'm projecting onto it because I find it interesting? No, I, th- I think you're right on. Um, it's it's a lesson. Maybe I learned it from Paul Simon. Um, I really try to anchor the listener 
in a physical space. If I don't name like a state or a town, I'll often describe a scene. And I really think like early on in a song to give people a visual, to give people something really concrete to like to like set the stage, you know, before you have the play, like to really give them something, something with some teeth, like some um, to mix a metaphor terribly there. Um, but uh, so I you know, this record, of course, was about place because it's about me living in Atlanta, about my fiance going out west, about me moving to Nashville. So there, so place is definitely all throughout this record. But it's not it's I mean, I've written a lot about Baltimore. Where I was born. I've written a lot about a lot of cities. And, uh, you know, I, I don't fully understand why I do it. But I do think there is something to do with anchoring the song in a physical space and a, and a time. So it's not just floating, <laughs> you know, it's not just floating out there for you to interpret any any way you want. Like, I'm pu- I'm going to put you here and then, you know, and then we'll see what happens, <laughs> especially yeah. with something this deeply personal. That's a great point. Yeah, yeah, and I, I just you know I, I I think this like using the sense in writing you know like describing like um, is really really early in the song can just be just if you and if you start looking analyzing songs you'll notice like it happens a lot that that's uh, I I just picked it up at, again as a tool in in my toolbox but it I'll often start writing that way like you know the way I write is I just have my guitar in hand and I and I just start kind of messing around going I don't use paper and pen I I, I write it all out loud and I just sing things to myself but i often need that physical space too i need to imagine myself somewhere uh you know and sometimes it's where i am you know i'll look around and i'll see something interesting in the room but a lot of times it's it's not she loves the mountain is a perfect example of that you know i just like i start off that song by describing these wildfires happening in montana you know smoke from the wildfire fill up the valley um you know and 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 so right away like that's where you are, <laughs> you know. Make no mistake, we are in like <laughs> we are in a wildfire situation in Montana, and uh, you know, like then I can tell you this heartbreak story about what happened to me. But if I start with the heartbreak, it's it's just less compelling. Yeah, well, and there's you, you, right, exactly. But also the and also I should say not but also, and also yeah, yeah, yeah. you're taking these these really difficult themes and th- these things that all of us can relate to, right? Like. Um, right. We haven't had your particular experience, but we've all had that kind of experience, yeah. or most of us have. Right. Um, and like it, it made me listening to it made me think of one particular relationship and just like how devastating mm. it was, and um, and and also made me wonder how you were able, because like when something like that happens to me, um, mm. I don't create very well. Like it. it yeah, you know, like my, I guess, yeah. depression or anxiety gets the best of me in those moments. Yeah. yeah, were you able, like, did you have to get some space uh, between what happened and and the writing of the songs, or was it contemporaneous? Yeah, great question. Um, and I totally understand what you're saying. And let me answer the first part too, because the first thing you said was about uh, the particulars, and I do think this is like a core belief of mine uh, that. Uh, by telling your story in its particulars, you know, it's all its quirky, unique detail. You give people a doorway to enter not only into your world, but into their own where, where being more general and vague, most of the time, you know, you would think that I could fill in the details myself of my own life, but that's not what people do. (laughs) They need the entry point of your specific life and then they can go to their own. But if you just make it very broad, they won't even go to their own. They won't go anywhere. So, 
I think that's a, that's really important. Um, uh, this record is like you know I've joked to my friends that it's sort of like a stages of grief record because it kind of hits all the all the different emotions. And uh, so so I wrote them over a period of uh, a year or more. And so some of the songs, no way I could have written right out of the gate, you know. And I wrote a couple songs right out of the gate that didn't make the record. They were just too raw. So, yeah, it takes some time to process. Like a song like She Loves the Mountains, uh, what, you know, that was in the middle. And it was like I, I needed to get over the initial devastation. Uh, and it's a heartbreak song, but it has, I think, a perspective where it has a little bit of kindness in it too, where it's like, I'm trying to see your perspective, but I'm still got, I'm, but <laughs> I'm still got my own back here. And to get to that point, you know, that wasn't going to happen in, in a week or a month, you know, it took, it took, it took six months or so. So, yeah, I mean, I think, and sometimes things take way longer than you, than you might imagine, you know, like a song might pop out years after an event that I hadn't realized I'd been sort of, div- you know, digesting for a long period of time. When you're really in the moment of like really breaking down, I don't think anybody's going to be gr- very creative. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I did wonder. I mean, you mentioned meditation. Like, I wondered if your your meditative yeah. practice might help you to get there, or there might be things that you do for self care yourself that um, that allow you maybe to to deal with those those really d- difficult, almost impossible situations. Um, yeah. You know, in in the moment. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yes, I mean, so, 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 so definitely, there are tools that I have gathered for dealing with difficult times through my meditation practice and through Buddhism, and some of those are like the exclusive domain of like self care, not so much about creativity at all, just like survival coping mechanisms and tools, and and I and I and I'm happy to talk about those, and I and I use those, and then my daily like sitting, you know, uh, I, I sit every day for about thirty minutes, sometimes forty five. And I and that the effects of that are more long term. Like you can't necessarily. I don't like jump up from sitting and like write a song. <laughs> like it's not so. You know what I mean? It's not so linear. It's not. I can't connect the dots like that. But I can see a change over, you know, over years, over months. And what I noticed in this writing period was a certain amount of freedom that I allowed myself in my writing. And I and I I can't say for sure that that's because of meditation. But meditation does free you up from repeating the same you know playing the same tape in your mind over and over again which is what we do right so so it really helps creativity to stop playing the same damn tape so that you can tune into other things say things you have never said before in a way that you've never said them before like a song like mountain in my mind which is such a strange song to me like i would have never written that song five years ago before i was practicing every day i just think i would have been like what the hell is this you know i just would have discounted it right out of hand so how did you, yeah, man, let's, let's get into this. Cause I, I think that's really helpful. <laughs> um, I know it's helpful for me. I think, um, meditation is, um, is, uh, a sporadic part of my life and has not become a habit the way that oh, I, cool. it should. Um, and mm-hmm. this is inspiring to me to, to do that because I know, like you mentioned habit earlier. I, I know, for example, I get up and do uh, morning pages every morning. Oh, great. Yeah, it and and when I'm in it, dude, I have to do it. You know, like I didn't right. today right. and I feel off. <laughs> I get it. I totally get that. <laughs> but I think <laughs> for some people people get intimidated by by the idea of meditation. Um and I think sure. it's helpful to hear from, from somebody who who does practice regularly. Um 
just the the idea specifically that you you will experience the long term effects of it, and it may and it doesn't yeah. come like in this strike of lightning, right? It's it's more a cumulative right. effect. Right. I mean, there there are cool things that happen. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, the, but but I mean, you know, and I'm not a meditation teacher, and I don't claim to be, but um, I can regurgitate some things that I've learned over the years, and uh, <laughs> and you know, the I. The idea of wanting to have those lightning bolt moments, you know, having those big breakthroughs, those epiphanies or those euphoric experiences that can happen in meditation, that that it, like having that mindset or that expectation or even that hope is actually counter to the practice because the practice is all about being with whatever comes up. So if you're sitting there with an agenda of having something amazing happen, then you're just going to sit there and get frustrated <laughs> and it's probably not going to happen. So the practice is like meeting whatever's there, you know, and so, so it, you know, and there's all kinds of forms and different kinds of teachings and, you know, there's all kinds of ways that are great. But I honestly think, if, you know, any time of sitting quietly with yourself and I think a timer is helpful just so you can commit to a time and just don't, you know, take that worry off of the plate. Like it's not going to I'm going to be I'm going to be here for 10 minutes or I'm going to be here for five minutes, whatever it is commit to it so you don't sit there thinking have i done enough yet like is it now now is it time to get up like i should remove that by having a timer and be with yourself and even i mean there's a million different practices i could you know tell you what i do and i could point you in different directions but even i think just sitting there with yourself and just looking at your own mind and just being your company you're being your own company i mean even that alone i think that would do wonders do you uh, are you uh, are you sitting in a particular posture when you meditate I, I I sit uh, in sort of what they call half lotus, so it's like kind of Indian style, one one leg over the other. But and they, they say to sit upright, you know, they say to sit with your spine straight. But y- you know, it you don't want to get hung up on that either. It's if you're sitting upright, then you're more likely to be alert, and it is sort of like a st- you you want to you don't want to fall asleep, and you don't want to be like in like a coma <laughs> so i think that's the main the main point of that um directive but i've heard people say they lie down and meditate you certainly can walk and meditate um for me i just have a little cushion under my butt i sit on it on the floor and uh you know just i don't and i don't like stress out about it like definitely don't want to make that into like the whole point right yeah that that's great that's really helpful i think for for folks it's helpful for me for sure because i think sometimes we attach to outcomes so much and that is the that is not the point of meditating <laughs> that is the <laughs> what you're supposed to be doing <laughs> it's, it's gonna work again it's gonna work against you but then of course you know the mind is so tricky that you could turn that into a thing you could be like well i'm so bad at not letting things happen you know, like, like you can really twist yourself into not so like you know whatever you need to do like if you like you could say like okay i'm gonna go ahead and worry like you know what i mean just give yourself permission i'm gonna go ahead and i'm gonna be bad at this for this for this 10 minutes i'm gonna sit here i'm gonna sit here and meditate terribly like that could be just <laughs> that's fine <laughs> terrible meditation is like the that's like the, the most boring uh sketch i, I can picture <laughs> just people being well we're also i mean we're we're also in this culture i think we're also hung up on like perf- perfection and, and and awards and achievement and like you know i want to be able to prove that i'm good at this and like you know, one of my favorite quotes from a Zen teacher is like, meditation is good for nothing. <laughs> like, <yeah. laughs> like, this is one thing that you're going to do and get nothing out of. <laughs> Embrace yeah. it. 
God, this is great, man. <laughs> this is coming at a perfect time. I'm, I'm reading uh, Living Buddha, Living Christ right now. And, uh, oh, Thich Nhat Hanh, yeah. Yeah, and it's my therapist put me on a spiritual journey a while back, and um, it's been a slow process. Uh, but I think that, again, goes back to what we were just discussing and the fact that yeah, you can't like go on your spiritual journey and then six weeks later expect to have shit figured out. That's not how it works. <laughs> No, if if you're doing it right, you're gonna have less figured out, <laughs> right? Yeah, and that's what's happening. That is exactly what's happening. Oh man, yeah, you're on the right track. Congratulations. Oh man, yeah, thanks. So I guess I'm yeah. good at it. Not good at it. <laughs> yeah, it's best not to worry about it. I mean, like it's best not to evaluate. I think and just sort of keep keep going. And um, yeah, but it's it's great, man. That's a great book. I did a retreat. Uh, actually, when I was like 19 with Thich Nhat Hanh, it's like one of my first exposures to Buddhism. And uh, yeah, I mean, what an amazing being. Yeah, that's uh, that part of your of your life is really interesting to me. I, I grew up in the Baptist church. And um, oh, cool. Yeah, that's part of why, like, why my therapist put me on that journey, because we were just discussing, like, the impact that growing up in the church has on you for some people is great. And, yeah. it, and it does really yeah. great things for them. But I I'm I'm coming to grips with just how much um how much damage um <laughs> growing up that way did <laughs> i can relate <laughs> yeah you know and so i i'm interested that's interesting to me that you're you went on that retreat at 19 so that's that's pretty young that that you were yeah. starting to to kind of try to figure things out uh outside of of the way you were uh, raised right yeah i've always been a bit of a freak um but yeah, we grew up, um, my grandparents were Pentecostal ministers, but I had a lot of mixed messages because my dad, you know, he, he did some preaching and he grew up in the church, like physically in the church. They lived like in the church itself and we went there as kids and people spoke in tongues. But then he kind of became this sort of like radical leftist, like, like, and so it was like, you know, my mom would be like, did you get, you know, you're sure you're saved? And then we'd be like, you know, uh, <laughs> like revolution. Like, so <laughs> it was, uh, it was confusing, you know, like <laughs> wasn't really sure what was going on. That's interesting. Yeah. See, so for me, the experience was like, if you're Protestant, you're going to heaven and everyone else is going to hell. And those were your two options. And, and that's. Oh, I got that message clear. Okay. Okay. Loud and clear. <laughs> yeah. Because I think that's yeah. the thing that fucks you up. You know, it was like that that dichotomy. Oh, yeah. Right. It's just so weird, man. Uh, like looking at it now, I'm just like, it didn't seem right to me at the time. And it really doesn't right. seem right to me now. Um, especially. Yeah. yeah it's, it's a, a, You know. Totally. I think kids have a innate sense of, ju of, of fairness or, you know, they, they, at least they hopefully they do or they learn it. But like and then you're teaching them that there's this all powerful being who is like a psychopath. <laughs> You know, it's, uh, like it's really doesn't square. You know, he loves you, but he will torture you for all eternity. So, so don't mess this up. <laughs> but all you have to do is say this one prayer, and you're good. Right is like the other right. right. You, oh my god, I'm not yeah. trying to skewer religion as a whole here. I I just mean my no. speaking from my experience. Um, that it's something yeah. that I think I'll always have to continue to to, to wrestle with. 
Well, yeah, I think that that group membership, that sort of tribal mentality that's baked into a lot of fundamentalism is something to get over. And yeah, I mean, I got good things out of religion as being a kid. I, I, I mean, I'm, I was glad that I was introduced to the notion of a uh, spiritual dimension to reality. Like, I was glad that there was like, you know, uh, even though it, it didn't really give me any of the tools to work with it at that point, like I, I was I was a. I was in, I was on board with like okay there's more than we can see and um, there's more to life than just you know we're just like meat and dirt you know like uh, so like it, oh, it it probably started me questioning you know and then very quickly it was like but what do we do with this and then <laughs> uh, coming in coming across meditation as a teenager it was really it was really uh, attractive to me because not only now was there this talk about you know spiritual dimension and meaning in life but then here's some things you can actually do. You know, rather than just keep like all I got in church was like, you know, ask for favors and hope you get them. Right. <laughs> like, uh, at least in my church. And I and I know that that is not the whole of Christianity, but um, there was a lot of that. And uh, and the idea of meditation or like direct connection with something divine was actually veered like viewed very suspiciously. Like people who do that, like, you know, that's like you're opening the door for the devil. Like, watch out. You know, <laughs> well, what a gift to, to think about it from the perspective that you that you had the idea that of of being um open to spirituality what a gift for a creative person that opens up so much um in your creative yeah. you know your creative mind i think allowing being open to that and this i mean this book talks all about that this living buddha living christ yeah, yeah. It talks all about being just being open to um to to not knowing and to um, yeah. not necessarily understanding that yeah. that's a huge gift yeah. to the creative. <laughs> yeah. I, I've, I've thought a few times about how few, you know, creatives I know, um, you know, truly creative people I know who don't have some spiritual bent because when you're, cre you know, you, you, you get in touch with this when you, when you're creating over and over again, that you, you, you write something, you create something, you make something, and it doesn't feel like you understood where it came from. It happens so often that you just, you know, it's like you're touch, you're tapping into something and you don't really have the words for it. You don't really understand it, but you know it exists. It's very difficult, I think, to go around and be like a very hardcore atheist. Like there's nothing and there's no meaning. And yet I'm pulling this beautiful meaning out of the, out of the universe. The universe is meaningless. And yet I'm creating meaningful things in it. It just it doesn't square. And so. So, yeah, I, I, I think that that is. I've I've noticed that disposition in, in other creative people, and also like um, this that you mentioned not knowing. I mean, I think that is like that's sort of like the womb of creativity, right? Because when you don't know, you anything's possible. Like that's what we talk about in Zen mind, beginner mind. Like you know, in the beginner's mind, in the master's mind, there are a few. Uh, um, what was he say? Uh, there are a few possibilities in the master's mind. There are a few possibilities in the beginner's mind. There are many. Therefore, always keep the beginner's mind. And th and then he all goes and he goes on to say, and this is Suzuki Roshi. He goes on to say, and this is actually the secret to the arts too. So when you said that, that was very, I think, astute. <laughs> right on. Awesome. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. I want to. That's a book that you're citing there. Oh yeah. So um, there's a book called Zen Mind, Beginner Mind. Or beginner's mind, uh, which is a classic, and uh, it's fantastic. And he, yeah, he, it's just these short talks by Shunroi Suzuki, who was a, a Zen uh, priest who came to the United States, I think, in the seventies, and uh, just little essays that I think were originally Dharma talks that he gave in his uh, center. 
but yeah, that that one in particular, when he talks about keeping the beginner's mind, the the the, uh, the not knowing, and there are other people who have spoken about that too in different ways. But um, yeah, when you know, you know, you, you can't really, you know, <laughs> when you have the an- when you have all the answers, like think about the people you know who are the most sure of the they're the least creative people. <laughs> yeah, that is so true, man. <laughs> gosh yeah i don't spend and i'm not i hope this doesn't sound pretentious at all i don't spend a lot of time no. around folks like that i, <laughs> I don't i don't <laughs> no, no i don't either <laughs> but i run into them and i've uh yeah you know. yeah for sure oh, i mean i know tons of them um and i think that you know i talk on the show a lot about and, and in my writing I, I i write about this a lot too especially in songwriting but the that happens a lot in in smaller communities in my experience like mm-hmm. insular kind of communities yeah, yeah. Um, everybody's just got life figured out man and <laughs> people, like that concept is scary as shit to me i mean i think that's you know that's how we end up with some of the 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 ills <laughs> that plague our society at the moment. <laughs> well whatever are you talking about <laughs> You know, it's funny. I I meant to. I've been starting all these conversations off. You know, since March, I've had I've done several episodes um, remotely like this, and I've started every conversation off with just like, "How are you doing?" And I I feel uh, terrible because of the technical difficulties. I didn't ask you. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. I am I am doing relatively well. I I think uh, definitely considering what what's out there what people are going through you know um right now it's like i i i feel lucky that's yeah. great yeah me too man it's um that's awesome. awesome glad to hear it yeah yeah thanks um so i don't want to take much more of your time this has been awesome sure yeah, yeah. we always end with what you're so you gave us a uh, a, a little bit of homework with the book what else are you consuming <laughs> like what are you listening to right now what are you watching what art has you fired up right now Oh man, I'm in like a weird phase because, like, uh, the record hasn't come out yet, and uh, and we're you know we're in this like promotion phase. We're releasing singles and doing interviews and things like this, and so like this is not a period where I'm writing a ton, uh, and I write pretty much all the time except for like in this little window. And so like I've been listening to all this like weird ambient music and things that like are not in my wheelhouse at all, but like just go on Spotify and be like, what's this ambient chill stuff, and like putting that on and like and uh it's been it's been really interesting and i've been listening to a lot of different podcasts um 10 happier has a has a really great one speaking of meditation and um interviewing really smart people who you know and it's not just about meditation it's like thinkers and writers journalists and uh folks like that so uh, yeah i'm uh i'm you know all kinds of stuff but uh, I, I can't say i'm consuming a ton of the music that I, the, the kind of music that I'm making at this moment. That's interesting. I, I I love that though. I mean, I think that's so helpful for the for for process in general. I mean, especially yeah. getting out of that. You know, I will I will go to my blankie, which is the <laughs> you know folk Americana, uh, blues, yeah, you know, bluegrass that kind of stuff. That that yeah. American roots um, music, uh, specifically Southern roots music. Like I will go to that shit and. Uh, I'll have to catch myself sometimes, not because that stuff isn't really important and beautiful and right. uh, and I don't love it. It's just that I it's so comfortable for me that I keep sure. coming back to it and then I don't push myself. So recently I've been like committed to listening to more hip hop. I've been committed to listening cool. to more soul. 
Um, yeah. And uh, and that used to be. It's funny. I don't know. Like that used to be how I consume music, especially as I was right. learning. Right? Is like I. I wouldn't just listen to one thing. It was constantly me pulling new ideas and new things and trying to learn. You know, I'd listen to Dylan in the morning and then oh, I'd listen yeah. to NWA in the afternoon, you know, like <laughs> trying to <laughs> trying to figure it all out, you know, like Ravi Shankar or something, you know, just nice. really trying nice. to figure stuff out. And, and I, I, I want to get back to that. Like that, I guess that circles back to the conversation about the beginner's mind, right? It's like, I need to get back to that kind of an attitude. Well, I hear you on that. And I, you know, I, I think just knowing like what season you're in, um, you know, of, of, uh, uh, consuming or whatever, um, you know, like, cause I, I, I mean, I've, I've gone down the rabbit hole. I mean, like I've, there would be months where I just listened to nothing but Dylan and just like every album, you know, and like, just like went in there and learned every lyric. And so, but you know, um, you get to a point where you're like, all right, like I've I've really got all the Americana records, you know, pretty well digested at this point. Like, I I, I don't want to, I'm in danger at this point, you know, because it's been a long time. I'm in danger of just remaking the same record myself. So I have to watch what my input is. Like, you know, I've got to start putting some other influences in there. Otherwise, that was really intentional for this record. And I don't know if you heard it as opposed to my last two records, but. But I was just like, I, I mean, I, I love the sound of train beats and pedal steel guitars and, you know, that raw Americana vibe. I mean, it's like my bread and butter. But like I consciously was like, let's listen to some indie folk. Let's listen to some other sounds. Let's layer some harmonies. Let's do some things that are fun and, and just a little bit outside of my comfort zone uh, and make something I've never heard. Let's make something new. So uh, so knowing where you're at in that, you know, sometimes you need to, you know, you, you need to binge. uh whatever it might be whiskey town or something, but like in other times you just need to put on ambient chill. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's great. I mean, it comes through. It definitely comes through. Uh, This is a different record. I love your other stuff, but this is, um, I'm crazy about this, this album. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Um, uh, I mean, I've been listening to it constantly, but I'm going to go listen to it again as soon as we get done. (laughs) Dude, that means the world to me. I'm glad I connected. Yeah, this was great. I, I'm I'm very motivated. I'm I'm gonna make meditation a part of my regular routine. Uh, it fits that's that's great. Great. morning pages. So that's gonna be yeah, yeah. nice. No, you're right. right, right? Like they work together yeah, well, right. I think. So D- absolutely. Yeah, totally. Dude, thank you so much. This was such a yeah. Party. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me on. me on. All right, man. Take care. Take care. All right, Elliot Bronson, y'all. Again, such good medicine. His record, Empty Spaces, comes out on July 24th. Check it out. Go to ElliotBronson.com. We keep up with all things Elliot. He's also on the, the social medias. 
Go to marinadepodcast.com for all things the marinade, including written pieces and concert photography. You could also pick up some swag in our store. We've got hats on the way. Unfortunately, UPS has lost our hats. So thank you for being patient. If you pre-ordered, we will get them to you as soon as possible. And I can't wait to see these things. Uh, Follow the marinade on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, y'all. I'm very seriously considering backing off of Facebook, just taking the marinade off of Facebook uh, for for a number of reasons. I'm privacy concerns, and um, I'm also incredibly concerned about the way that the that Facebook interacts with the Trump administration. So, give us some feedback. Let me know. Am I am I overreacting? Uh, should I go ahead and do it? Or is there anybody out there who's a fan of the marinade and connects with the show? only through that channel or prefers to connect through that channel. Um, help me make this decision, please, because um, I don't want to pull off of there if there's somebody who who interacts with the show that way or gets updates that way and, uh, and, and would miss out otherwise. But, you know, we're available everywhere. And uh, there's marinadepodcast.com where you can, can keep up. Well, obviously, we're on all major po- podcast platforms, uh, very active on Twitter, very responsive on Twitter. So let us know what you think, and um, I'll make that decision fairly soon because uh, I don't want to drag my feet with it. I want to either stay in or, or back out for right now. If you really like what we're doing, please consider joining our Patreon community, where for just a few bucks a month, you can get exclusive content like our show Jason's Journey, where I talk about the moments that have shaped and continue to shape my creative life. Uh, Patreon is just a, a personal way to connect with the show, and it helps us. Um, it I, I I can do this without Patreon, but barely. It would be it would be difficult to keep this going because there is a little bit of overhead. But um, Patreon takes care of that, and and uh, and it also just allows me to connect with fans and friends of the show on a deeper level. And I, I really cherish that and appreciate that. So check it out. Patreon.com slash marinade podcast. If you can swing it, if you can't, um, or if you're taking your treasure to, uh, more worthy causes, that's cool too. Uh, all those free things are incredibly helpful. Word of mouth is probably the biggest way that we, uh, spread the word about the show. So thank y'all so much for listening. Thank you so much for telling people about the show. All right, y'all, it's time for what I'm getting down on, the segment where I talk about the art that is inspiring me at the moment. I have had such a hard time during the pandemic reading, that just really struggled to read. Uh, I'd, I'd read a page or two and then get distracted, check my phone, maybe even take a nap. Like Whatever whatever was going on, it's like I, I tended to be pretty productive, actually, uh, I created a whole bunch of podcasts. I, I wrote a lot, um, but I wasn't able to read for whatever reason. And I think I broke through that funk with two books back to back. I read Haruki Murakami's What I Talk About When I Talk About Running and Stephen King's On Writing, and I just plowed through both of them. Uh, can't say enough about about those two books. I've been listening to a lot of stuff lately. I have worn out and just can't stop listening to RTJ4, the new Run the Jewels record. I've been a fan of both those guys for a long time, Killer Mike and LP. Killer Mike is just one of the great leaders of our time, cultural leaders of our time. And I I love his solo stuff. Um, I love the stuff that, that he does with um, with LP. And then LP, same thing. Just if 
if you're not hip to LP's music, um, or if you just know him through Run the Jewels, go back through his back catalog also. I know I've talked about it on the show, but it's worth revisiting. Some of those old records, Cancer for Cure, So Good, um, Flyontology, there's just so many, uh, I'm sorry, I'll Sleep When You're Dead is the name of the record. Uh, check those out. There's just so much good stuff from those guys. They're so smart and um, and so relevant, consistently relevant. The new Jamie Wyatt is awesome. If you haven't listened to it, if you're listening to the show, you probably have listened to it. But if you haven't, check it out. And the brand new Phoebe Bridgers that just came out yesterday, I'm recording this on Friday, uh, is phenomenal. It, it just, it's a whole world she's created. It's just beautiful. And um, I think I listened to it three times back to back last night. Can't say enough about that record too. So lots of great music. I could probably do that forever. Elliot, again, Elliot Bronson's new record is wonderful as well. There's just so much great stuff that people are putting out right now. It's, um, God, it's crazy. Wish I could see some of these shows, you know, wish I could see some of these people out. Um, the, the last thing I wanted to tell you about is that we did, I, I decided to order some marinade, uh, masks. So they're, they're masks that have, the the surfboard logo on them. Um, we don't really, it's through one of those companies that'll make it and, you know, you can order straight through them. And I'll put a link up on marinadepodcast.com and there's one on Twitter and Facebook also. Um, the, I think we get like a dollar from each mask, I guess, something like that. So whatever we get, I'm going to donate to fairfight.org. Um, Fair Fight, again, is that organization that's just working to make sure people have access to voting which is crazy that we call ourselves a democracy and we have to worry about this. But if, if people will vote, then some of the more egregious, terrible individuals, the Trumps, the Ron DeSantis's of the world will be defeated. Um, they're just going to lose that. So we got to vote <laughs> and uh, fair fights working to make sure people have access to that. So uh, if, uh, if you buy a mask, um, I'm not going to make any money off of them. I'll just take the take that money and donate it to Fair Fight. All right, y'all. Thank you so much. Thank you again, Elliot. If you can do it, guys, go out and create something. Uh, if not, don't be hard on yourself. Until next time, cheers, y'all.